Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Scientia Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Daniel Bailey, CEO and co-founder of Astrea, to talk about leveraging geospatial data. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for having me. Very excited to talk about geospatial. Never pass up an opportunity to talk about the intersection of business, geospatial, and AI ML. Daniel, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create Astrea? Sure. So I'm going to date myself here. I'm, I'm a little bit old, in the 90s in college. Thought I wanted to be a doctor. Always wanted to do something to uh, help people, very mission-driven. Decided I uh, didn't like spending my time in a lab 24-7, so switched over to the kind of math stats. And then found myself uh, still having that need to help people and decided to join the Army. That really kind of introduced me to the space. Late 90s, it was pretty heady times being in your 20s in a secret compartmented information facility and being able to pick up the red phone and requisition satellites when they weren't commercially available. So that kind of that kind of had me catch the bug of what the power and opportunity was and the amount of data that could be collected from these Earth-observing platforms. You know, kind of fast forward after eight years in an employment in Iraq and where I got to live and, and help secure the first free national election in Iraq in the uh, early 2000s, post 9-11, I realized that just how much importance and impact it can have to make evidence-based decisions. And so, you know, when we fast forward and the AIML revolution kind of came back around and I got an opportunity to, with a good friend of mine here in Charlottesville to kind of fuse my past with satellites, with my AIML background and start Astraea to try to solve some of these big challenging and, and problems we're facing from climate change to, you know, a lot of the sustainable development water, other things that we're facing to as a civilization. So what does Astraea do? And why is this important for solving many of these planetary problems that you mentioned? We started in 2008 around the concept that more and more data was coming down from space. Space was commercialized in 1992 with the first satellite going up to 1999. In the Obama administration in 2013, they, with his uh, open government initiative, made troves and troves of satellite imagery from NASA, and then the European Space Agency joined in on that to provide tons of satellite data that had largely been untapped to look for questions. And as you know, in AIML, we often work on found data, data that wasn't collected for that for, a, for the purpose that we're interrogating it for to see if we can find hidden insights in it. And so in 2008, we came together, started Australia, decided that we needed to build capabilities to make this data broadly accessible and available for people working to address these big challenging problems that we're, we're facing. And what role does machine learning play in your technology? It's, it's really core. Going back, to, going back to the early days, all the data coming down, and I'm, I'm sure you've lived it, it's, there's more data, kind of had the golden age of, of data, you know, big data. It's led to this kind of golden age of AI. And now, increasingly, we can put sensors on everything. IoT started, and now opening up space, 14,000 satellites zooming around the Earth collecting data. 
mean, we're kind of in this golden age of measurement. There's more data than you can look at individually. You really have to have something like AIML to recognize those patterns and extract those valuable insights out of the data. And so it's, it's absolutely crucial and core to everything that we do. What kinds of insights do you extract? Maybe you have a couple examples of models that you train in order to, to extract some new insights from satellite data? Yeah, as you can imagine, I mean, there's a lot of different satellite data types, and we have a principle that we really try to use the simplest model as possible that is fit for purpose to answer the business need. And so we do every, we run models, everything from random forest to deep learning, computer vision models, UNET, and other models. It's important for us because we do things like monitor millions of acres of forest that has been put in conservation easements and others in the offset, which as you know, we, we hear about today, it's those are becoming more and more critical for helping avert and sink some of the carbon that we've built up over the last 30, 40 years with the fossil fuels. And so we're able to monitor that, monitor those forests to make sure that people are abiding by those offset rules and not illegally harvesting the trees and, and helping protect the forest. We're also using it in other ways to better specify the grid as we're working with a lot of renewable energy developers and the energy transition to help them find substations, electric grid lines that are poorly mapped and poorly understood. That opens up a number of parcels that can then be considered for putting these renewable power generating assets on. Um, and then, of course, as a sustainable focus, we all everything that we do we make sure that our, our customers have access to the best information around critical habitats, uh, water resources, and, and other supporting information that they make their decisions. So getting a little bit more specific with some of the machine learning, you, you mentioned infrastructure. So I, I suspect that some of the models you're training might do, just be to detect infrastructure. Would that, would that be one example? Yeah, absolutely. We we detect infrastructure, computer vision models, understanding, characterizing what a substation looks like. Where where is it at first of all, and what what does it look like? What kind of capacity does it have on it? Could it could it actually handle additional load going into it for renewable energy developers? What kinds of challenges do you encounter in working with satellite imagery? Satellite imagery is a it's a unique beast for sure. You know, having been in the space for in the AIML space and done everything from marketing analytics to anti-fraud analytics and this type of work with satellite imagery, it's the dimensionality of the data is completely unique. It has the space component. Where is it on the ground? It has the temporal component. So you're right there dealing with spatial temporal data, which is challenging and modeling, which is challenging as you, as you know, and then, then you add in the, the scientific data that it's the spectrum, the, the different bands, and other sensor types that it could be made of. And so you very quickly get this data cube that is big and a single a single image can be a gigabyte of size, just a one look in time uh, over one area. And so you can imagine very quickly the amount of infrastructure, you know, compute infrastructure and, and capabilities you need to just deal with the data is huge and to process and prep it to get it to a point where you can do anything with it. And where we find ourselves with that, it's kind of funny in, a, in our space is that because that's so much work and, and we think about the geospatial space, we have a tendency to be like, wow, look at all my hard work. We want to tell everybody about our hard work. And as you talked about, most of the business people we're working with, they just want an answer. And, and so we find ourselves sometimes kind of thinking about all the technology and speaking in the technology. And we, we really have to 
think about not just how cool it is to be in space and satellite imagery and the data, but how do we how do we turn that into the business problem and, and meeting the need of the customer that we have? So once you you have a model and, and once it's deployed and out, out there and doing its job for for your customers, how do you ensure that it continues to work over time? It, what if something in the data changes? How do you catch that? Yeah, making sure we understand how our customers are leveraging the model and what kind of impact is, is important so they get that information. We do run a lot of traditional techniques. We do champion challenger techniques so that when we have a model in production, we're constantly looking for a better model and innovating on that capability. We are looking at new data feeds. We are constantly in space. You're getting more and more sensors going up, so we have an opportunity to fuse more data that creates a, a better model over time and, and can be we can innovate on the model that we have in, in production at that time. How do you think about the, the balance between model accuracy and, and explainability? Are, are they both important for the types of models you're developing or is one really more critical than the other? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, you know, in my time in anti-fraud modeling and, and others, explainability has become very important. And it is in ours too. As you can imagine, we work in a couple of modes. And so accuracy is paramount. And so making sure that we know where on the earth and what type of substation that is, is, is important. Explainability comes important that we have one of the advantages with working with satellite imagery is we have a really good picture. So when our model flags, we can actually show the customer what 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 it looks like on the ground at that time and, and why it is. So we get a little bit more, even though it, we use those advanced techniques of convolutional neural nets and others that are really often less explainable. We get the advantage that we um, are able to tie it to a specific instance in time that can be interrogated when our model flags it as a as a concern, and so this really comes in handy for our force loss work that we do for the land offsetting. Because if a if a landowner has an event like that and they're getting they're getting paid to offset their land, if some type of illegal harvesting, having that image really helps assure that the accuracy and the explainability is there for the model. So just due to the the visual nature of this being images, you, you can point to exactly what they're looking at and, and explain predictions that way. Whereas for some other modalities of data, it's much harder to to look at and to to get interpretability from that point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And it's evolving. Our space is evolving. Some of the more challenging problems, and that's that's the the theme, you know, as it is today, and kind of monitoring those use cases as we move into some of the new sensor types are going up there. We're, we're able to do things like measure greenhouse gases and do carbon modeling, carbon sink and emission modeling. That's a little more challenging. And that's where explainability does really start to come into play and having ground truth data because by nature, we're measuring from space, which is <laughs> 600 kilometers up in the air or more. And you're, you got a lot of complicating factors. So understanding who is emitting something it has to be modeled and you have to really work on the science and that relies on having better and better ground truth data to calibrate the sensors that are in space to what's going on on the ground. So right now, accuracy is kind of driving it, but explainability for the application of AI and ML to satellite imagery is definitely on the horizon and becoming going to catch up with the rest of the explainability discussion in AI and ML that we're hearing today. So going back to machine learning projects themselves, how does your team plan and develop a new ML product or feature? What what steps do they take, particularly early in the process? 
yeah, I, I think it's a, <laughs> our, our big driving principle there is, you know, business need, making sure that we, we have a good understanding of what the business need is. It's easy to get in love with the tech by nature. We, you know, AI and ML technology is cool to begin with. I mean, chat GPT, you throw in some space in there too, <laughs> and, and getting the data from space, it's just, it's a, it's a technologist dream in, in my opinion. But without really focusing on the business need and, the, and then having that business case justification, you can kind of be at risk of creating a, a hammer and being like, hey, here's a hammer. Look at my cool hammer. Where's where's the nail? And we've seen that over and over in our space where a lot of publicity around counting cars and Walmart parking lots. That's great. But when you actually do the business case, by the time you source the data and apply it, you're looking at millions and millions of dollars to be able to count those cars the value of that isn't there. And so when we think about creating ML products and features within the product, we think about taking using the, the most simplistic approach first. If we can solve with the random force, we solve the random force. We need more complexity with a convolution neural net, we'll apply that. And as you know, software isn't cheap to build and neither is AI ML models. And so we're really looking to make sure that we can build features that drive value and do that as quickly as possible and then iterate. So once you've got the business case figured out, what's the the next step in terms of figuring out how to solve it with machine learning? Is your team in the beginning maybe focused on exploring the data or getting that simple baseline solution up and running or are they digging into the research? What's kind of the the first the first step or or something that I haven't mentioned? I'd say that you pretty much categorized all of them. I, we always do a research spike to begin with. We're looking at a problem. We want to know what's the state of the art that's out there. What's been done before? That usually looks at different publications, spending a, a few days to maybe a week really digging into there and understanding what's been done before. Once we get a sense of that, we come together, we specify the problem, and we establish our first iteration, which is, to your point, to get to a POC. We want to take with as little data preparation as possible and and the quickest modeling as possible, establish the baseline against the, the ground truth data set, understanding how well can we do with very little. And if we see then, if we see some response, right, if we see some good, some reasonable results, some reasonable accuracy or whatever fit statistic we're using, you know, intersection over union or other fit statistic, then we'll come back together and value that and determine where do we go next. Usually what we like to do when we build all this is work with our customers and make sure that we are in dialogue with them, that we're not building in a vacuum. We're working with some of our agricultural customers. We want to make sure that we're getting those results as preliminary into their hands and understanding if they're useful for them. That's one thing that's you know critical from, from all this is just an iterative approach to building out the model and then a very experimental driven design process. So first step, literature search, second baseline solution, and then iterate. But the, the other key part that you mentioned is making sure all the stakeholders are involved in the discussions and are you know involved really throughout the process so that you converge to most appropriate solution for the thing that you're trying to solve. Yeah, that sounds dead on. And, you know, we largely, you're probably familiar in the cross-industry standard process for data mining for Steam. Once again, dating myself a bit here, but they really did. They got it well with a lot of that, you know, making sure you understand the, the 
the, the business deed, evaluating the data, getting to that baseline, and then iterating. And so we, we generally follow that process. We've augmented it some, but but it's a really sound process to this test of time. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? I think the biggest one is just stay, stay, you know, stay focused on the business need. There's so much cool tech. The space moves so fast. I mean, you look at today and ChatGP is like already, there's how many news articles coming out that ChatGPT is yesterday's tech and here's the next 10 startups that's going to be, I mean, it's just, it moves so fast. And when you're in there, it can be building a business around it, not just doing the tech, but building a business around it. It, it can be overwhelming at times. And so staying focused on the business need, what's your mission? Why did you do this to begin with? And what do your customers need is, is critical, I think. As we've already discussed, if you can stay focused and then continue to use the simplest approaches to deliver quickly, deliver results, as you, as you like to say, and impact, driving for impact, and iterate, and just keep iterating. And then I think the third thing is is an interesting one, and some people fall on different sides of it, but I, I really think it's embrace the open ecosystem approach. We have contributed We've benefited from open source software and and techniques, and we've contributed open source software and techniques and continue to do so. We have very much a yes and, and I think, especially in our space, in the the geospatial AI intelligence space, it really is about going to take a, a community to attack and to provide the capabilities we need to solve some of these intractable problems we're facing as a as a planet. Yeah, there's a ton of open source, like you said, both for geospatial and AI and the intersection of. So if we're all shooting for the same goal here, so if we can head there together, well, I think we'll we'll get there a lot faster and uh, more efficiently. Yeah, it was amazing. My uh, one of my my DevOps engineer, at, uh, he put in the Chat GPT. Said, "How much would it cost for me to build a Chat GPT?" And you know, his response was, "If you got about a hundred million dollars and a team of 200 leading AI engineers and seven years, you can build a chat GPT. That's great. I'm glad that open AI exists and they're starting to make some of that available. They're also looking to monetize it now. But there's a lot of work in the in, for what we do and this new data set that's coming along that's from satellite imagery. We have petabytes and petabytes of data that doesn't have ground truthing. We use it for massive challenges. You know, we're supporting the people of Ukraine with our Ukraine observer and, and providing satellite data to over 20 humanitarian aid organizations and nonprofits to do desktop reconnaissance before they run missions to get people out to deliver food and, and necessary, you know, when disaster strikes, open data is available for satellite imagery to the platform. And so the challenge that that's great, but the challenge is there's tons of training data from ImageNet of cats on the internet and other things. There's very little labeled training data for Earth observation, where really some of these big global challenges, we need more training data to build better models to, to meet the needs that we're seeing globally. Yeah, you need more training data, and you need to think carefully about what types of models and how to train them based on the lack of, of labeled training data. So both of those come into play as, as challenges with, with anybody tackling satellite imagery. And finally, where do you see the impact of Australia in three to five years? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in three to five years, I, I really believe our 
a platform and the work we're doing in platform like ours will be very important as the world and, and businesses and within it, you know, are focused more on sustainable development, making better decisions about the planet that we live on. You can only do that with incorporating the impact of the things you are doing, not just within the four walls of your organization, but in the, you know, in your local community. And then for manufacturing and some of these others more globally is because it, it impacts everybody across the world sometimes depending on what you're doing. And so, you know, we're going to continue to provide valuable insights and, and solutions to help our customers and, and um, partners make better decisions about the planet that we live on. And as a benefits corporation, that's core to us. We, we make sure that we continue to make, you know, we have our commercial side of our business and then we have the side where we subsidize and work with all the nonprofits and others that are really working and trying to provide our platform in this data at, at low to no cost to them to work on these really important problems. And so I hope that we can be a part. I know we're not going to solve it. It's going to take the, everybody to work on climate change and, and the impacts of it. And we're really looking forward to helping be a part of that solution um, as we drive to the next 5, 10, 15 years, what it's going to take to to get climate back where it needs to be. This has been great. Danielle, your team at Australia is doing some really interesting work for Earth Observation. I expect the insights you shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? Sure, you can go to Australia.Earth, E-A-R-T-H. That's our website there. And then you can also find us on Twitter at Australia INC. And then, of course, we have a LinkedIn page as well, Australia. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Heather. It's been a pleasure speaking with you about satellite imagery and all the cool things we can do with it. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.